Well, good morning, church. How are you guys doing this morning? It's good to see each and every one of you, and happy birthday, okay? Because we're turning seven years old today, and so we're excited that you're celebrating with us. And once again, if you're our guest, if you just snuck in a little bit late, we are celebrating all that God has done in our church over the past seven years. And let me start by introducing myself if I haven't met you yet. My name is Aaron, and I am the lead pastor here at NCC, and I've had the privilege of being a part of this amazing church for the past four years and have seen God move in so many lives. And our vision, the heart of our church is making people and places new. We're gonna, you're going to hear us say that over and over again, and hopefully you've seen that in some different ways even as you came in this morning. And I thought, since this is our birthday and we're celebrating seven years, we're going to kick this off with a little NCC trivia, okay? And there's multiple choice answers, because I know some of you may have been here all seven years. Some of you guys may have just started coming, okay? But go ahead and guess, right? What is it on multiple choice? Always guess B if you don't know the answer. I don't know if that's right, but we'll see today, okay? So we're going to show these questions. Just shout out when you think it's right. I'll read through the multiple choice. But the first question is... Where did NCC, New Community Church, start at? Was it Beltline Drive, East Skyline Drive, Galloway, or in Garland? What do you guys think? Shout out the answer. Okay, I got some D's, some C's. C, okay, and the right answer is B. Okay, East Skyline Drive. Now, New Community Church, we're seven years old, but we were actually birthed out of a different church. It, it started on East Skyline Drive, I think there was a tent like back in the 50s and people just started to meet together. They didn't even have a building. And then in the early 2000s, they moved to this location. They bought this big field out here when there wasn't a whole lot else out this way. And they built this church. And then over the course of time, the pastor's health began to struggle a little bit. And so we were actually a campus of another church in Red Oak. And if you were here at the start of this church, there was a big screen that would come down every week. And Pastor Scott, the pastor at that time, would preach on a video screen. And that's kind of how we first started doing that. And then in 2011, New Community Church was birthed out of, once again, this heart to really make an impact in our community and to make people and places new. And as I was reading through this, I just thought, you guys, it's so amazing because although we're a new church and God's been moving the past seven years, we're reaping the blessings of people that went way before us and the investment that they made and the impact that they made and what they were praying for. And we've been able to see just once again, lives change because of what they've done. Okay, question number two, which one of these is your favorite pastor, Aaron? Afro pastor, hipster haircut, or shaved hair pastor? Which one, you guys? Okay, I heard a resounding A, okay? If you stick around for a little bit, you're going to see each of these guys, okay? Because I'm always doing something right now. I'm in this stage, but I'm working towards A, okay? The Afro's coming back, growing it back out, so. Okay, question number three. NCC gives monthly to help which of the following missionary partners? Is it One Hope giving Bibles to students and kids? Is it Backyard Orphans helping with foster care and orphan care? The Kemp's reaching Muslim students in Southeast Asia? Or the Walkers providing basic needs and education to hundreds of students in Central America? Or is it E, all of the above? What do you guys think? E. E, yep, that's pretty easy, okay? If you ever see E on a multiple choice, I always guess that one. And you guys, that's what we get to do, okay? We get to do all of those. If you guessed one of the above, you were right because we do every single one of those things um, here at NCC. And once again, every week when we come together, we pause for a moment in the service 
And I challenge you to give, to be faithful to God, to be obedient. And this is what your money is going to. You guys just think about that. Today, there's a high school student in Southeast Asia. There are little kids in Africa that are holding God's word in their hand that they didn't have access to before. But because you gave, it made a difference in their life. There are Muslim college students who are going to be future leaders, who are going to be future government officials, future business owners, and their life is being changed because they're hearing the story of Jesus for the first time. And while they're in college, we have missionary partners that are reaching out to them. They're being saved. They're being baptized. God is changing their life once again because of your faithfulness, because of what you've done. And in Central America, there are young students, just like we're making an impact in education here, there are little kids in Central America that are going to go to school tomorrow because of your giving. And they couldn't normally afford to go to school, but because you're giving, they're able to go and to get an education and their life is being changed because of what you're doing. And church, I just want to say thank you because what you've given over the past seven years, you have given over $325,000 around the world to make an impact and to change lives, you guys. And that is absolutely amazing. We love what God has done. Okay, the last question here, NCC Trivia. What is the heart of NCC? Is it A, church is all about me, B, helping people grow, C, making people in places new, or D, knowing Jesus and making Jesus known? Which one of those? C. C. Okay, great job. Yes, it's highlighted in red there, okay? So that is the heart of our church, okay? If you said, A, church is all about me, you are way wrong, okay? That's not what we believe. We believe that we're here and God's doing something in our lives and that that should affect other people. And church, I want you to hear that. That's our vision. That's what God has set in front of us is that we would live out that heart, not just something we talk about when we're together on a Sunday morning, but you're living out that vision, And so your workplace, students, the school that you're in, the classroom that you're a part of, all of that, it's different because you're there. And God is living that out through you. We're making people in places new. And that's the vision that God has set in front of us. And so since we're talking about vision in this series, hold on. I do want to celebrate something with this that I forgot. Over the past seven years, we have seen over 1,050 people commit their heart to Christ and start a relationship with Jesus. And that is absolutely amazing. God has done so much. And so this is, um, once again, in our vision series. So some of you guys already did this. Go ahead and put on your 3D glasses. We're just going to use them for a second. If you're sitting in the right place, hopefully it looks a little 3D, okay? This isn't Hollywood high tech, so it's not going to be like when you go to AMC, okay? But this is our goal. This is my thought this morning as we got these glasses for each of you is we want this vision to stand out, okay? We want it to stand out in your life. We want this to be something that stays in front of you, this heart of making people in places new. On the very first Sunday, Pastor Chris, who was the lead pastor at that time, he stood up on this platform and he challenged us as a church to make people in places new, to live, and that this community would be different because this church is here. And I want to tell you, seven years later, we still have that heart. Seven years from now, we're still going to have that heart to say, God, we want to be a church, Lord, that is following your lead, God, and we're seeing people and places around is made new, Lord, because of what you've done inside of our life. And so that's our challenge to you is that this vision would stand out and that you would live it out in your life everywhere that you go, that you would take this with you and that you would see how God can use you to make an impact for others. So you can take those off now 
And I want you to challenge you, put them somewhere, your car, your dresser, in your bathroom to remind you of the vision that God has given us and where he's calling us to. And so today, it's, we're celebrating happy birthday is what we've said. And so we wanted to talk about joy this morning. This is one of our declarations as a church, that joy is seen in who we are. Okay, it's something that you read when you walk in these doors right there in the lobby, in those glass um, posters there. One of those declarations says this, joy is seen in who we are. And so I wanted us to look, what does that look like? You know, whenever I was in the fourth grade, I lived in a small town called Shirley, Arkansas, um, went to a, a small school there. I remember one day I was coming in from recess. I'd been playing basketball with some of my friends and I walked into my fourth grade classroom and one of the first desks that was there was this girl that I liked. Her name was Crystal. And I thought Crystal was the most beautiful girl I had ever seen. I got all nervous as a fourth grader whenever I would talk with her. And so I remember that day, I put my hands in my pocket. I kind of had my head down and I was walking up, getting ready to say something to Crystal when all of a sudden I felt someone shove me from behind. And before I could react, my face was meeting the floor. I mean, just wham, I just smacked the floor, right? And I was kind of embarrassed, so I hopped up. I looked at Crystal. I didn't know what to say. And so I said, hey, Crystal, how are you doing? And her face went white. And the kid that pushed me down, I didn't know someone had shoved me. I just felt a push from beyond. This kid that shoved me down, like he's looking and he's panicking. And everyone in the classroom is staring at me. And I don't know why. I've just got this big smile on my face. And everyone else can see it. I'm missing my two front teeth. They're shattered on the floor in front of me. There's blood coming out of my gums and out of my mouth. And everyone's just, just in stark horror. But I've just got this smile. I don't realize what's happened in that moment, right? So I'm smiling at everyone, like looking around. The teacher comes in and he starts to freak out. And I get rushed to the dentist. They have to put in two fake teeth. So for my fourth to ninth grade year, I looked like Bugs Bunny, you guys, right? I had these adult-sized teeth and this little bitty head, right? It looked ridiculous. And I can remember that, like in that moment, just smiling through all of that because I really wasn't aware of what was going on. And I think sometimes when we think about joy, that's what we think of. We think of just kind of smiling through hard situations or difficult situations, right? Like the Joker in the dark night, right? Let's put a smile on that face. And that's what we imagine. Well, that's what God expects, that we kind of ignore what's going on around us. And there's just always a smile. We're faking it with people. Everything's going okay. Everything's good. And we're just smiling away. And that's what God wants from us. But yet that's not what we find that joy is in the Bible, that's not what we see when we read scripture, and that's not the idea or the picture that Jesus paints when he talks about this. When I started to research this, I found a lot of definitions for joy. One of them came from Webster's, and it said, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. And once again, that's what a lot of us think joy is, but I don't exactly agree with that because happiness can kind of come and go, right? Like you can get in a bad situation and you cannot feel that, or maybe you're disappointed and, and you don't have that pleasure at that moment, right? But the Bible challenges us to live in this life of joy, that joy would be present, that it would be seen in who we are. I found this other definition from this Christian author, and I really like this. This is what he said. He said, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. 
the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. See, this definition of joy doesn't have to do with what I'm going through. A matter of fact, it says, God, even though it may be hard right now, and Jesus looked at his disciples and he said that being a Christian is not walking through a bed of roses. You're going to face troubles, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world, that God is ordaining every one of our steps, right? And that there's this settled assurance, God, you're in control, this quiet confidence that everything's going to be all right. Maybe not in this moment. Maybe it doesn't feel like it right now, but this is what I know, church. This is not where the story ends. This is not how the story ends in our life, that God said he will be victorious in our life. And so that's what brings joy is when we realize that, God, everything is going to be all right. You're going to work it out for your good, Lord. And then that last one, a determined choice to praise God in every situation. And I think this is a better definition of joy as we look at scripture and as we we see what it is that God is actually saying. And so I want us to look at this idea, how is joy seen in our life? And we're in this vision series, so I brought a little visual, visual illustration to help us out this morning, okay? How many of you guys know what this is? Okay, all the hunters in the room, shout it out. Okay, it's a scope, yep. I don't know if anyone said that, okay? I heard a couple of different answers. This is a scope, um, and... And this is a lens that extends out, okay? Even if you've not looked through one of these, you've used other scopes, okay? Maybe they weren't called that. You've looked through binoculars or maybe a microscope in science class, um, biology class, or maybe a telescope, and you've looked out into the stars and you've seen things maybe that are far away, but that's kind of what this does, okay? I tried to use it in this room, but it's actually too powerful, so I had to take it outside to be able to see stuff because everything is magnified as you look through this. And so I was thinking about this, like, how do we find joy? Like, how is joy present in our life? And, and how do we get a vision of what God actually wants joy to be in our life? And as I started to think about this and I began to read scripture, I thought about this. Joy is present in our life. It, it comes into our field of view when we magnify who is most important in our lives. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Joy comes in our lives. It comes in our field of view when we magnify who is most important in our lives. Now, many of us expect to find joy by what is present in our lives, but that's not what we see in the scriptures. It's not what is there. It's not how much money you have or what possessions you own or any of those things, but it's actually who is present in our life is when we start to see joy and when we're able to get a view of God's kind of joy. And this is what he says in Psalms chapter 33, verse 20 through 22. The psalmist writes this, we're depending on God. He has everything that we need. And what's more, our hearts are brimming with joy or they're full of joy since we've taken for our own his holy name. Love us, God, with all that you've got. And that's what we're depending on. What's the psalmist saying? He said, I'm looking through life with this scope, not what is most important, but who is most important in my life. And I found this, that if joy is going to be present inside of me, it's because of God. It's not because of what I'm going through. It's not because of what I'm looking at. It's not the situation that I'm in. It's not what I possess. It's who. It's that God is present in my life. God is close to me. And that's what the psalmist writes. God, it's you that I am depending on, Lord. It's you that I'm looking at, God. It's you that I'm magnifying in my life, God. I want to make you great because that's what brings joy inside of my heart and inside of my life, right? That's what he says. God, you've called us by your own name. 
We didn't deserve it, Lord, but you've called us as your own, Lord. You're present in our life, and Lord, that brings joy. And when you read the psalmist here, this is King David. It's this guy from the Old Testament, one of the kings that was over the people of God. He's not rejoicing because everything's perfect in his life. Now, you may think he's king, so he's got it pretty good, but he went through some difficulties when he's writing this. He's getting chased down by a madman, and he's living in caves. He's hiding in swamps, running for his life. This is when he writes this. God, my heart is full of joy, even in the midst of all of this, because, Lord, you've called me your own. God, because you're present in my life, Lord, I can still have joy in the midst of this difficulty because my joy does not depend on what, it depends on who. God, that you are present there, even in the most difficult circumstances. He doesn't have joy because everything went right. I mean, this guy is a murderer. He had an affair, and then he wanted to cover it up, so he kills the guy um, that he cheated on his wife with, and, and so he has the guy killed. Like, he's done some pretty horrible things, but once again, he's saying, God, I need to draw near to you, Lord. You're what brings joy to my life, God. It's who you are. David, over and over again, if you've read any of the Psalms, these poetry, these songs from the Old Testament, David constantly has to tell himself, he talks to him and he says, and he says why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you depressed? Why are you frustrated? Why are you stressed? Why are you worried? Look unto the Lord. He is my refuge. Over and over again, this psalmist, this writer of the Bible has to remind himself, joy is not found in what I'm going through. Church, it's found in who is with me in the midst of every situation, in the midst of every difficulty. If you're lacking joy in your life, maybe you have not magnified the Lord. Maybe you've not really zoomed in on who God is. You're looking at other things. You're looking at what's around you instead of who is present with you in everything that you're going through. You want joy in your life. You magnify who is most important. You magnify God. You speak of his goodness. You focus in on that. I think some of us are missing joy because of this. We're looking through the scope the wrong way. And some of us think this, you guys, it's not about focusing in on God. That's not what's going to bring me joy. God, I need you to focus in on me. I need you to magnify my life. God, I need to be more popular, right? Like I need to be more well-known. I need that promotion at work, God. So you magnify my life, God. You make me great in the sight of everyone else. And that's what will bring happiness is when I'm noticed, is when people see me, is when they realize how amazing I am. God, magnify my life. And we're looking through the scope the wrong way. We want God to create the world all around us. And we think that's what will bring joy. That's what will really bring satisfaction in our life, you guys. But if we're honest, we're only a small part of the story, right? Like God's the one who's been here through all of this. And we have to make sure that we're not looking through the scope the wrong way. And what happens, you guys, and so many of us, we struggle with this. And we're wondering, I'm a Christian. Why isn't there joy in my life? Why doesn't God feel near? Why doesn't the joy of God feel close to me? Is when you look through a scope the wrong way, what happens? It shrinks everything on the other end. It makes it look so distant and so far. And God, even though he's near, we're looking at the scope through the wrong way. We're wanting our lives to be magnified. And it seems like God is just out there somewhere far off. And we don't feel his joy present with us. And the psalmist is calling out to us. He's reminding us. Hey, joy is found in who is close to you. Not what you have, not even what you're going through. Joy is present in your life when you realize that God is near. And so what are we called to do? We're called to magnify God, to focus in, to really zoom in on the greatness and how powerful God is in our lives. What he's done, church, 
That's what brings joy. That's what helps focus in and magnify the joy in our life is when we see the greatness of God. So let me give you this simple thing. If you're saying, hey, I don't feel that in my life. How do I do that? Like, how do I magnify God? Obviously, I don't look through a real scope and see God on the other end. How do I do that? It comes through this simple act of worshiping God, of praising God. And so many of us live our lives like, hey, we come to church and we do that, right? Like Pastor Jason and the amazing team up here every week, like they sing and we sing songs with them and we clap. And sometimes if we're feeling really good, like we'll lift our hands and we'll do something like that. And that's me worshiping God. But that cannot be the only time that you do that, church. Because if you do, your joy will be extremely limited inside of your life. See, you have to magnify God in every part of your life, in every moment, in every day. You're looking at how powerful God is, how amazing God is. And so this is what it looks like as you wake up in the morning and you're getting ready and you just remind yourself of the goodness of God. God, you've given me another day. There were people, Lord, that maybe didn't wake up this morning. God, there are people that are in a hospital bed. Lord, there are people that are struggling, God, but you've been faithful in my life. God, you've given me another day to worship you, Lord. I was lost and I was dead in my sin. There are those of you in this room, you came to this church facing addictions. You came to this church broken and messed up. Your marriages were struggling and you came in here and God has brought healing inside of your life. God has done something amazing inside of you. Every day you wake up and you just magnify the goodness of God, his salvation his redemption, his grace over you. You start to zoom in on that, on the greatness of God. And all of a sudden, joy is restored into your life. I cannot tell you the amount of times I wake up in the morning and I try to start praying and I can't. My mind is full of stress, of things I have to do, projects I have at work, things I'm worried about, what's going on in my family. All of these things begin to cloud out my mind and I can't even pray, I can't even focus. And God's spirit has to remind me, just stop and praise me, Aaron. Just stop. You're making your problem so large. You're making everything else so big. You don't see how great I am. And in those moments where I can actually stop and I begin to praise him, God, thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. I didn't deserve your love, God. I was just some punk kid, God. And you came and you called me and you redeemed me, Lord. You gave me a purpose. You gave me, a, I start to declare the goodness of God. And all of a sudden, all of those problems, everything I was worried about, it begins to shrink in size because I'm making God larger. I'm zooming in on the goodness of God. Church, are you doing that inside of your life if you're missing joy? Have you magnified God? Have you talked of his goodness? There's this story in the book of Acts where there's these two guys and they've been preaching about Jesus. They've been telling other people about the love and the hope of Christ and they're thrown in prison. And I'm thinking if I was in that situation, I would start complaining, God, I was doing what was right and this is where you let me end up? So many times we do that. God, I'm trying to be faithful and I'm trying to follow you and I'm trying to listen and this is where it winds me up at. Lord, this is where I end up at. But Paul and Silas, they do something different. If you know the story, they just begin to praise God. And they begin to sing of the praises of God, how good God is, that he's the one who delivered his people out of slavery. He's the one who has sent his son and redeemed us from our sins. They just begin to sing out in the middle of this prison cell with chains and shackles around them. When they're in this bondage, they just declare the goodness of God. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that prison cell, there's an earthquake and the chains fall off, 
The doors are opened up and they walk out in freedom. And what do they do? They continue to declare the goodness of God. The jailer, the warden of that prison is saved. His family is saved. They're baptized. God begins to do things. Why? Because they praised him in the prison. Church, that's what you got to do sometimes in the midst of your problem, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of what you're going through. You need to magnify God. You've been too focused in on your problems. You've been, you've been zooming in on the struggles that you're going through. And yes, they're real, but you need to see the greatness of your God, that he is with you and that joy comes in our life. Joy is present in my heart when I see how amazing God is. Are you magnifying the right person instead of what is present in your life? Are you focusing in on God? The second thing that I want you to think about as it comes to joy is, are you focusing in on what is important? When we look at the vision, when joy is coming into our scope of vision, are we focused in on what is important? If you've ever looked in a microscope or a telescope, like you're looking through this, but as you turn these little dials that are right here, it brings into clarity what's really important there, what you want to see, what you want to focus in on. And in your life, are you doing that? See, many of us, we're focused in on the wrong things. We're focused in on what other people have. You guys, we believe the lie that if we drive the right car, date night is going to be amazing. If we drink the right beer, right, everyone's going to be there on a bikini, like on the beach. Like We actually believe what people are lying to us about. We believe this, and we think that's what brings joy, right? Like that's what brings happiness in our life is what we see on commercials and that we're somehow missing something, right, that's temporary, that's fleeting, that's going to fade away, that's going to rust, that you're going to have to take to the mechanic in a few years, all of these things, they don't bring lasting joy in our life, but sometimes we believe that's what it is. And the word of God reminds us that joy is found in the eternal. The book of Psalms, once again, Psalms chapter 16, verse 11, it says this, the psalmist is writing and he says, God, you make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pleasures forevermore, God. Joy, it's found in you. It's not found in temporary things. It's not found in what my neighbor has that I really want. It's not found in the newest technology or the largest screen TV God, It's not found. There's nothing wrong in those things in and of themselves. But if that's where you're looking for joy, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to constantly be grasping for more, wanting more because it's not going to satisfy. And yet the psalmist reminds us, hey, whenever we seek after God, whenever we're in his presence, whenever we're looking to him, whenever we're looking for things that are eternal, Whenever we focus in on the right things in our life, we find joy in the presence of God and in what really matters in our life. I love it how the Christian author C.S. Lewis says, this is what he says. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires, our want for pleasure, not too strong, but too weak. It's not that we want too much pleasure in our life. It's that we settle for weak things. We are half-hearted creatures. We're fooling around with alcohol and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, we cannot imagine when Christ offers us a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, church. God's offered us everlasting joy, pleasures as, at his right hand, and we're like a kid that's still playing in the mud because we can't imagine what the beach party is like. 
Christ is inviting us in. It's not that he says, hey, being a Christian means you don't experience joy. It's that you experience joy everlasting. And you guys, so many times we're expecting the things that are going to fade away to really satisfy us, and they don't. Once again, there's nothing wrong with them. But if that's where you're looking for joy, it's going to come up empty. And the Bible, God's word reminds us to focus our attention on God. 